Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by that new Broadway smash, Rage Against the Vending Machine. Follow our hero, Tom Morello Yellow, as he leads the people of the Sunkist in a quest for socio-political justice, which is eclipsed only by his quest for snacks. Come rally around the family with a pocket full of Skittles and sing along with such sugary classics as Kit Kat in the Name of, Spree Now in the Fire, Renegades of Fanta, and Fistful of Starburst. Rage Against the Vending Machine. Mountain Dew what they told you. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Long, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the round. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Everybody, welcome to the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by our new friends at Manscaped. Guys, you know that horrible feeling when you're grooming yourself, you're taking care of yourself. Maybe you've got a special lady who tells you when it's time to uh, get right down there, or maybe you're just a, a, a good, well-groomed man. Well, the worst part about grooming yourself is nicking your balls. When you slice that skin and that little bit of blood comes out, there is no worse feeling as a man. There is no scarier moment than when you've got a blade around a very, very sensitive area. Manscaped knows what it's like. It's a company for men, by men, specifically for grooming your delicates. And with their patented ceramic blade on their electric trimmer, the Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin st- skin safe technology. That way, it won't nick or snag when you're moving all around your delicates. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Don't use the same trimmer on your face as you use on your body, by the way. That's disgusting. Men, we've got to be better than that. That is absolutely gross. Doc, I know you're there with me on that. Just absolutely disgusting, right? It's, it's pretty much the grossest thing you can do. And not only that, you ever get that chafing feeling when it's muggy or hot outside of course you do especially if you live in georgia it's muggy all the time it's a swamp down there well luckily they also have the crop preserver 
which sounds, and you're going to laugh just reading it, it's an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You know what that essentially means? Keeps everything nice and smooth and gets that swampiness out of that area. That is exactly what you want. And, I mean, if you're going to put armpits on your, or deodorant on your armpits, why wouldn't you think about doing it down there? Um, but, if you use our promo code armchair, not only are you going to get 20% off and free shipping, you're going to have the right tools for the right job. Your balls will thank you. Your wife will thank you. Your ladies will thank, will thank you. Whoever it'll be, just use our promo code armchair and you'll get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code armchair at manscaped.com. 20% off at manscaped.com with the promo code armchair. I'm not going to spell it for you guys. You guys know what it is now by this point. Manscaped, look and feel great. All right, Doc. World Series is finally over, so people that listen to the second segment and hear me stumbling can uh, can figure out behind the curtain that we recorded segment two before we recorded segment one. What do you think of the World Series overall? All things considered, I mean, there were a lot of fascinating storylines that went with it, but it didn't quite live up to the hype, I don't think. Um, anytime you have a Game 7, you, you're, you're going to have some really good, tense baseball, like I had mentioned last week. Like, once... Once you lose your rooting interest, once your team's out of it, you can just hope for good baseball. And games six and seven were much better than games one through five, I thought. I was fascinated by the fact that the road team won every single game. Yeah, that was absolutely insane. I'm not sure. I've never seen it happen. I'm not sure if it has happened before. One of our awesome listeners will be sure to send us. The last time I can remember uh, was 96, where it looked like the road teams were going to win every game until the Yankees so unceremoniously ended things in Game 6. But I don't know how to feel today. The Astros kind of did a really good job of making themselves the villains uh, with, with the whole thing with the front office. But as a general rule of thumb, I tend to to separate front offices and teams as far as the what they, the things they say and act. I mean, as a Braves fan, I kind of had to for years in order to still be a fan of this team. Um, and I'm also, I can't, I can't exactly be happy that the Nationals won, especially because that means now that every single team in our division has won a World Series since the last time the Braves did, um, or at least been to one. I don't think the Mets have won one since then, but everybody else has at least been to a World Series since the last time the Braves went. So I don't really feel great about that, but this national team doesn't have a ton of people to hate. I don't know. I'm very conflicted right now. I'm I'm very much the same. And honestly, I am all about giving credit where it's due. The Nats got hot at the right time. And for as much as we banged on them about the best team since May 24th thing, I mean, going from 19 and 31, uh, two months into the season into winning the world series, it's impressive no matter who it is, whether it's your rival or not. So and, and the good news is, you know, Anthony Rendon is probably on his way out of town. Steven Strasburg might be. Uh, Howie Kendrick, who is like their spark plug for the last two-thirds of the season, and particularly in the playoffs, he looks like he'll be gone. So hopefully next year when we have a lot of Nationals fans taunting us for the fact that we bowed out and got our asses kicked in the NLDS, you know, uh, hopefully <laughs> we will not have to face some of the guys that took them to the World Series. So that's that's my hope. But I'm conflicted, too. I mean, you never want to have to deal with the division rival legitimately being able to lord over you for an entire uh, for an entire offseason and and during the season. I have gone back and deleted all of my tweets about the Nationals having never won a playoff series. So you're going to have to dig a little dig a little harder there. So I don't know. We just 
this will put the Braves in a position to have to go out and counteract any good that the Nats are going to do because they're going to try and repeat. You know, this division is going to be really hard to win next year. Yeah, if, if you're a Braves fan, that's the one silver lining of the Nats winning a World Series is it does take away a built-in excuse that the Braves used last offseason, which was we were already the winners of the division. Everybody was chasing us. Well, even though you won the division, another team in your division won the World Series. So now you're chasing that team. So hopefully hopefully that actually loosens up the purse strings for the Braves a little bit. And we'll be able to tell pretty quickly into the offseason, I believe, what type of offseason it is. Um I, I still just I I love Juan Soto. I like Howie Kendrick as well. I love Max Scherzer. I'm glad that Suzuki inventors uh, are getting World Series rings, but I just can't bring myself to root for the Nationals. And and believe me, this is not like a full on. Hey, we're all, we're still Nationals fans. We were only Nationals fans while they were playing the Astros. So now they can they can all go back to hell and you know that's and that'll be fine. The rivalry is intact. But if they hadn't been the expos, I would probably hate them much more. <laughs> well, I I mean I guess that's one way. But just just digging into that series a little bit, while not many of the games before game six really stood out, there is there were a couple storylines that kind of made it a, a bigger series. Uh, not just Verlander continuing to struggle in the in the World Series and really kind of in the postseason, but especially the World Series where he's now 0-6, I believe. Uh, a couple of those were good starts, but this this particular World Series, he did not do a great job. Uh, Zach Granke was lights out last night. That was I was really interested to see how Granke would handle a Game 7, especially since everybody knows that he's got such such horrible social anxiety and issues like that. I thought he did a phenomenal job. I was I was. To me, that was probably my favorite part of last night was watching Granky deal, knowing how badly he struggles with stuff like that. Um, so I thought that was really well done. The other thing, and I'm not happy about this one, um, but I'm no longer allowed to call Steven Strasburg a loser because he just took his entire career's worth of attitude and storyline and completely shredded it this postseason. He did. He that was a star making turn for him. And you had seen in the past couple of years, as he started to kind of get farther away from some of the injury stuff, he be- became a lot more solid just on a regular basis. And what he did this postseason is so impressive. So, so very impressive. So no doubt to me, he's going to opt out of that contract with Washington. He, who knows whether or not he's going to go back, but even if he does stay with the nationals, he said himself, he made what $40 million just during the postseason, something like that. I mean, he made himself a ton of money. Yeah, and I don't th- – I actually, from from what I gather, uh, just talking to some guys who are familiar with the situation with the Nationals, Strasburg apparently loves it there, even though it's been 10 years past the time we all thought he was going to take off. Um, he's apparently a big Washington guy, so I doubt he leaves. But it does open the door for a team like Washington, who's now going to be the defending World Series champs. They've got a lot on their plate going into 2020. They got a lot of a lot of players who are going to have to get moved or who are leaving, especially guys like Rendon, because they're still strapped up against it. When you talk about money, because of the contracts to Scherzer, uh, Strasburg, and Corbin, so it's going to be really interesting to see how high they can actually get on Strasburg. We know they like to defer money, so this one will just be deferred to like twenty fifty four. Well, and you can kind of see, you know, they they did make a push to bring Bryce back, but I think in the end, when you start looking at what they knew Bryce was going to make, 
and what he brought to the team versus what Rendon is going to make and what he brought to the team. I think that they, they went a little bit, they kind of leaned a little bit more for the quiet, unassuming guy in Rendon than they did for Bryce. And I think even, even with these deferred deals, I think that they're going to try really, really hard to bring him back. But you just don't know if they can because you start pushing money too far into the future and it totally kills you seven or eight years from now. And Rendon is another guy who made himself a whole lot of money. So he's looking at a Nolan Arenado type deal. I think it was eight two sixty somewhere around there. And there's no guarantee that Washington's going to be able to do that. But there are going to be some hungry teams out there who need a third baseman. Uh, Braves, Braves being one of them. And not that I necessarily think that he comes here, but he was just such a cog in that offense. You put him and Soto in there together, and with with Trey Turner at the top, it was kind of. It was bound to happen. Not a lot of teams could have beat the Astros like they did, but this one was definitely good enough to do so. Well, now that you bring up Rendon, there are a lot of big move, big names that are potentially on the move this offseason. You've got the free agent guys like Rendon and Garrett Cole, obviously, but there's a lot of other talent that looks to be completely available. Guys like Mookie Betts, who we talk about all the time. Uh, J.D. Martinez, I'm hearing, is also on the block. The Cubs are going to be having to do... We we think they're going to deal at least one of their big three. Uh, and then we also believe... We know they're going to try to trade you Darvish. Uh, I've heard Wilson Contreras is on the table as well. Heard he was on the table during the deadline talks. Um, there, There's a lot of players available. Francisco Lindor, to me, is probably the most interesting case because... Rendon is awesome. Garrett Cole is amazing. But if if you can get Francisco Lindor, that's obvi- that right there, that is the key piece in this offseason. If the Indians do, in fact, have to trade him uh, due to the fact that they're worried that they can't sign him, Francisco Lindor is the, the clear shining gem of this entire offseason, if he's truly available. I think it's kind of a 1A and 1B with, with Lindor and Mookie as far as being the most attractive trade ships. I'll disagree for, for one reason. Lindor is also an elite defender at a keystone position. And that's that's true. And and you look at where Cleveland is, they're not too far removed from that same category as like the Rays, where they've got to be really, really careful about how they spend their money because they're not a huge market team. And the Rays are are geniuses for the way they manage payroll and it, the Indians don't quite have that same don't have that same ability so they need to be really smart about what they do here they're not going to resign him Lindor is going to make 250 million after next season or whatever similar At similar least. to Mookie yeah I mean they both these guys are going to absolutely clean up and you can't really just take that one year approach anymore for as much as these guys are, are starting to cost. So you have to be smart about it. If the Indians are smart, they will look into moving him, try and restock their farm system, which is kind of middle of the road, if maybe not a little bit lower than that. So then there you get the good players and then you deal with it, you know? So regardless of whether a team already has a good starting shortstop, starting second baseman, if you can get Francisco Lindor, you get him and you figure it out later. I am terrified that a team like the Dodgers, maybe even worse, the Phillies, are going to try and go out there and and get somebody like him. I'm not worried about the Phillies. They don't have anything of substance worth trading for him because Cleveland's going to want prospects. They're going to want MLB-ready prospects, and Philadelphia does not have any. The Dodgers have a lot, but they've already – that that brings up an interesting case with Corey Seager that you and I were talking about before we recorded that uh, 
I don't think they particularly want to deal Seager. They've got Gavin Lux to think about as well. They, they've got some roster crunch of their own. Um, now, this is obviously pipe dream, but if I could have my druthers, I'd want Francisco Lindor in a Braves uniform. That's like the one player that could get me over losing Angleton. Uh, especially when you look at Lindor, he's about to turn 26 here in a couple weeks. He's never had a season under four war. That's insane. And if you look at the Braves' current shortstop option, you know this was a much better year for Dansby than he's ever had before. But if you add up his entire career, uh, he's basically at four war. So one one uh, year worth of Lindor is worth than Dansby's worth more than Dansby's entire career up to this point. So literally more than half of his big league seasons, he's hit over thirty homers. Yeah, I mean, he's amazing. He's definitely amazing. But once again, because I'm just I'm just throwing Mookie and Lindor together. Would you be willing to sacrifice the prospects of young I, players yes. <laughs> for one year? For would, one year, would I be willing? Uh, Lindor's not a free agent until twenty twenty two. Okay, then that's going to cost way more, way, way, way more. It will. Would I be willing to do it? You better believe it. Whew. This, a lot. It's painful. This is the thing that man. we talk about, man. If you if you want to be one of those type of teams, this is what you got to do. I mean, I know. Who, I know. Who's the last team that became an elite team purely by guys that they drafted? Was it the Cubs? Actually, they they wound up having to supplement that yep. with you know, and that's Darvish, Rizzo, John Lester, Jose Quintana, Araldis Chapman. Those are all guys that they brought in that they had to deal big time prospects for. By the way, uh, looking at no doubt. Looking at that first Houston World Series team, that would be the closest one to homegrown, but even that wasn't truly homegrown. I mean, having to bring in Verlander uh, gave Josh Reddick a gigantic contract. I mean, this is what teams have to do when they're when they're ready to go from being a potential contender to being an actual contender. This is the type of things that have to go. This is why. This is why the farm system becomes as important as it does. Not necessarily to restock yourself but to be able to acquire already proven pieces as well. That gives you a lot more flexibility in, in how you develop yourself. If you just rely on drafting your own uh, f- for your star players, the problem is you have to hit on all those draft picks. And the baseball draft is the hardest draft to actually navigate and correctly evaluate because there's, there's so much that goes into evaluation. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that the Braves are going to get Lindor, by the way. I, Personally, I don't. I think if anybody were to get Lindor, uh, the first team I would look at would be somebody like the Yankees, who can offer like a Davey Garcia. In that instance, um, I think that would probably be the team. Uh, they could always kick Torres over to second or third, depending on wherever they want to put him and Lemayhew and however else they want to operate business. Um, but I'm just saying, if I if I were Alex Anthopoulos and it was available to me. I would, I would get Francisco Lindor here if I have the opportunity. That is one that I'll be tracking very closely. For some reason, I just I never never have assumed that the Braves would be suitors for for Lindor. And Anthopoulos is very particular about the type of control that he values. When he's going in after trades, he wants to get somebody with multiple years of control. When he's doing free agents, the main thing that we have seen is just tiny little deals, one year over one year deals. You know, so. I don't know. I, for some reason, it just seems so outlandish that they would go get Lindor, but the idea of going and getting Mookie seems much more much more palatable for some reason. I don't know. There's 
there's no guarantee that any of these prospects are going to pan out. But when I think back to, I remember the second when the Braves drafted Ian Anderson and when they drafted Kyle Wright and, and Bryce Wilson and, and all of these guys. And I, I'll give way too much leash when it comes to prospects and say, Oh, he's just figuring, figuring out, you know, it takes time to learn a new pitch or it takes time to do this thing or that thing. And I'm just like, yeah, but this is like our guy. And, 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 you know, I don't care about the whole J.D. Drew, Adam Wainwright thing. The fact that Wainwright actually was one of the millions of prospects that get traded and actually wound up turning into the caliber of player that he did is, is incredibly unique. And it's tragic because people bring it up all the time. I don't begrudge the Braves for doing something like that. But you still you way, never want to. By the way, people harp on that. Like, that was a good trade. You know why? J.D. Drew had the best season in Atlanta Braves history. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. He was really worth it for that for that one year. But because he didn't resign and because Wainwright wound up becoming, you know, he, he's still pitching, then, you know, it becomes this cautionary tale where everybody's got to look out for you can't trade your prospects. Well, nobody wants to look at the bajillion trades that got made where, you know, look at the different names for that wound up getting traded in, in certain cases and say, who the hell is that guy? Who's Ron Mahay? You know? <laughs> So th- there's always going to be some some room for for trepidation there while you're waiting to find out whether or not okay we traded Ian Anderson for Mookie Betts and, and no offense Ian but I hope you suck now as opposed to you know I you want all these guys to succeed Joey Wentz is not in the Braves system anymore but I still want him to succeed with Detroit so it's just so weird it's like a relic it's like a connection to the rebuild which we should be doing our best to shed anyways. But it's, it's just weird being attached to these guys. So whether it's one year for Mookie or however long Seager has under control or Lindor or if they want to go out and get like Matt Boyd from the Tigers, you know, because pitching is probably going to be a bigger concern than, than offense this offseason. So you never want to see any of these guys move. You want them all to come up and be the first completely 100% homegrown World Series team. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that's I think the Braves want that, but I don't think that you're likely to find a long list of teams that have accomplished that. Uh, we're going to save a lot of the offseason player talk for for coming weeks because it is the offseason, so content is always a little bit of a struggle. Um, but there are some other talking points we got to get to before we get to our patron of the month segment. Chief among those You've got this written in here, and I'm glad you wrote this question down because it is something that I've been wondering about. Next year, there's going to be 26-man rosters or 26-man active rosters instead of 25. I'm, I do wonder how that's going to affect the Rule 5 because now there's automatically somebody that you're going to get to protect even if you don't really want them to play all the time. Like, if the Braves had had this option available to them, would Dustin Peterson have been protected? Would he have been put as the 26-man in the club? Um, it, it's a very interesting scenario, and I I, I want to get your thoughts on it, Doc. What what does this twenty sixth man do to the Rule Five? Well, if you you've got guys that that are like super specialized, okay, and the biggest problem with the Rule Five guys is that they have to stay on the active roster for the entire season. Like you can't just put them on the forty and then stash them down in AAA. Like they've got to be with the big league club the entire season. So if you've got a lefty who can throw a hundred or a guy that can't hit a lick, but he can steal 70 bases in a season, something like that. Then you take, take for instance, a guy like Billy Hamilton. He's obviously not rule five eligible, but I think the profile really fits for this example. He's a dude that kind of can't hit. He's really good at defense and he's really good at speed. But if he's somebody that you 
have to keep on your roster all season, it might be tricky because there's so many roles that he doesn't fill, even despite the ones that he does fill rather well. So when it comes time, you're, you're looking to trim the fat off your roster and you say, well, I don't know if we can necessarily keep this guy. Well, now you have a little bit more flexibility. You can have a deeper bench or a deeper bullpen. If you, if you've got somebody that, that you want to try and stash out there, I think you're going to see a lot more rule five guys stick because of that additional roster spot. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what types of players get protected from these teams too. Cause now they know even if they, they throw them, if you have an internal guy that you have to put on the 40, then you don't have to keep him on the active roster. But if you're the acquiring team, then you do have to keep him on. So this is going to really influence the types of guys that teams will wind up protecting. So whether it's a guy like Terrence Gore, once again, not rule five eligible, but it fits. He can run faster than anybody. He's like Herb Washington or Herb Washington. Excuse me. You'd figure I'd know how to pronounce, pronounce that name. Um, you can you can have a lot more flexibility for the guys that you uh, that you wind up obtaining. So that's that's going to be fascinating to me. It is, and I'm kind of interested to see how it goes. I wouldn't be surprised if there's not a lot of movement the first year because most teams will try to take a patient approach to something new and see how it works out. But it is a very interesting case, and another interesting case for at least for me. I don't know if it is for you. Is going to be the timing. For the Braves this offseason, last year they got everything done really quickly. It was Brian McCann and Donaldson right behind it and or the other way around, but it was within like the first two weeks, and then it was like dead silence for months. This is a different it's a different type of offseason that the Braves need to go through this year, so I, I'm not entirely sure what to expect. Um, what are you thinking? Do you think that that's kind of Alex's MO, that he likes to jump on things early before the market can set itself? Um, or, do, or do you think this year he takes a little bit more of a longer approach knowing that there's now that he knows exactly who he needs to chase? I think that he, he's kind of the, the type where he wants to play by his own rules. So when it, when it was last year, when they was, uh, when he went out and got Donaldson, that was the first big free agent signing. And, you know, we, we went round and round about how impactful that deal was being the biggest one-year deal in team history and it really wound up working out pretty well um i think he might be a little less bashful about trades this time around and last year's offseason it was there were a lot of injury concerns too so a lot of the more impactful moves that he wound up making were during spring training like getting matt joyce and getting josh tomlin who you know, I think we all kind of rolled our eyes at that one. We're like, oh, my God, are we really doing this? And he wound up being pretty serviceable. He filled the exact role that uh, that you would want him to step in and do. I, I think if they've got any targets that they've already got their eyes on, because they can, as soon as they got eliminated from the playoffs, they could start talking to other inactive teams about trades and, and trying to work out frameworks for certain things. So if they've got certain guys, like if they know they're not going to resign Donaldson and they want to go get uh, – Kyle Seeker from the Mariners, just, just to use a name, then, you know, the Mariners never they didn't even make the playoffs. So they, they could already have the framework of that type of deal worked out. But if they are confident in their ability to re-sign Donaldson, if they've already had that type of dialogue, then you, then you could see him wait. I would like to see them be active early on and often, you know, not necessarily signing two thirds of your impactful free agents within like one afternoon and then just sitting on your hands as far as um, getting moves done, we both know that there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on this past year. There just wasn't nearly as much finished product activity there. So 
I would I would like to see them be a little more even with with the way they do things. I think I would agree. I would agree with that. And it's not just the Braves that this is an interesting offseason before. One of the things that you and I, weirdly enough, like to look at is who's that sneaky team that tries to go out and, and kind of wreck free agency for everybody else. Um, the Padres did it last year with Manny Machado. Uh, the Reds did it last year as well as they were as they became committed to not being in last place in their division. If I were to ask you right now who that one team will be in the free agency for 2019-2020, who's that one team that just kind of jumps in where into a place where nobody really thinks they belong? I think for me it's the White Sox. They, for my two biggest suitors for Manny last year were San Diego and Chicago. I would not be surprised to see the White Sox go super hard after a guy like Rendon or even a guy like Cole. They've got money to spend. They've got a young core they're supplementing. They're not in a, in a position wholly dissimilar to where the Braves were last year or, or excuse me, uh, going into 2018 and looking at what they could do with a, with a core that's got Anthony Rendon and Eloy Jimenez in it, and then Dylan Cease pitching for them and Lucas Giolito. I mean, that that's your start. You can start to see like the formation of a really solid core. And I think San Diego might continue. I think Cincinnati might continue. But when you're looking at teams that are kind of in the doldrums looking to break out, the White Sox are kind of there for me. And they their rebuild was running concurrent to Atlanta's for a while. They just haven't been able to take that next step. What about you? Do you, do you think it's going to be, uh, do you think Cincinnati's going to keep going? I think they're going to keep going, but I think the angels are going to be the team in the off season that really goes hard after a lot of people. I've said before, uh, I expect them to get Garrett Cole to go along with Joe Madden. Uh, I think that they will be big time players for Anthony Rendon. I think they've got a lot of money that they can spend. Now they have a lot of expensive contracts, but I believe the Angels have a pretty good TV deal as well. That there's a lot, of, then there's a lot of money in Anaheim for them to actually spend on folks. And I think they're tired of kind of being also Rands. I think that they're, I, I think Billy Epler and company are. are I, I I don't know. I just look at that Angels team, and I I think that's a team that's that's going to try to make some noise. Now that Houston lost this World Series, I think the Angels are saying it's it's time for them to. Uh, to finally get to that point. And it takes bold moves to, to step over the Astros and step over the A's. And they, they're going to have some money freeing up after Pujols contract is done. They've got Jordan Adel coming. They've got Brandon Marsh coming. The future is getting pretty bright down there. So if you can have a core with, with Trout and either Cole or Rendon and, you know, Simmons, as long as he's still there, some, some good pieces in LA. It's almost kind of like a, curse for the Braves where they're they're good enough to say like we were this close we were this close to doing it with what we already had and so they might be a little less inclined to to blow the whole thing up even they're losing a lot of free agents but they still they still have Acuna they still have Albies and Freeman for as much as everybody hates them now and Soroka and Freed they have that solid core to build around as whereas if you're the Angels you're still saying we've got to make a major shakeup here. It's almost a perfect storm for them to get Garrett Cole. It's almost too perfect. Like I kind of wonder whether it's the obvious fit. So you never can be sure that it's going to wind up going that way anyway. So I can see that though. And they're going to have to do something big to stay competitive because the whole thing about, you know, Mike Trout is great, but he's never, 
He's never really made it in a playoff series. Well, one, that's not his fault, but two, they got to do something. They got him on lock forever. You know, they, they have this generation's Mickey Mantle for the next 12 years. They got to do something about it. They can't just let his entire career go to waste. So that's kind of hyperbolic to say that it's going to waste when he's what, like 27. So, but <laughs> 20, but yeah. you have to, yeah, he'll be 28, like midway. He, no, he's 28. He's 28 now. Okay. But so you still have him for a long time, but you kind of owe it to him to to do something with that. So you can see it. The Madden move is a is a step in the right direction. So so we'll see. That's a good team. That's a good call to keep an eye on the offseason. Now we all are we're all wanting to see what happens with the Braves and, and how quickly they're gonna get involved. But really, I think the one thing that Braves fans are gonna be able to take solace in making fun of people for again, and something that I'm I'm genuinely curious to see what happens. And this is going to be what we leave off on before we go to our our patron segment because we do have to wrap this episode up here. Uh, we went a little bit long in the patron segment. You guys hopefully will enjoy. Um, but the Philadelphia Phillies, we we saw what they did last year with the whole stupid money thing. Everybody's making fun of them, obviously for for saying we're going to spend stupid money and then finishing at like five hundred. Um, but people are kind of forgetting. That team was on pace to do really well until one of their big signings, McCutcheon, went down and it kind of threw their whole team into chaos. Uh, I, I don't think that Phillies team is as bad as their record indicated. I think that when they lost McCutcheon, they didn't have a backup for him, essentially, and that kind of hurt things. But then you saw Scott Kingery start to take off. For everybody that wants to jump on Bryce Harper, he actually had a very valuable season last year. I believe he would have been like fourth on the Braves behind Acuna, Fred, uh, Acuna, Ozzy, and Donaldson. Um, but they still they we know they have a ton of money that they can always throw around. Are they going to do that two off seasons in a row? Are they going to come out of here and just blow Garrett Cole out of the water in order to to be able to do what they did in the early two thousands and try to establish another big three? Now, I don't think Arietta is necessarily one of those big three, but let's just say they want to to get two of big three and pair uh, Aranola up with Garrett Cole. Do you think that there's any way possible that the Phillies tried to spend to be team stupid money two off seasons in a row? It would not surprise me. I think there's probably a really bad taste in everybody's mouth after what happened last year. I mean, they, they've got a ton of money committed. One thing that, that I think you can, you can, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, like they don't have the prospect capital they had. Sixto Sanchez wound up going to the Marlins in the deal for JC Romuto. So, you know, you've got Alec Bohm and Spencer Howard. You've got a, a couple of good prospects in the system there, but anything that they are going to wind up doing, they're either going to have to move somebody like Scott Kingery in a deal to get some type of impact bat, which like you said, I mean, Kingery took off, so he might be a really good trade chip, but they might be better suited just to keep him. They are going to have to get real creative if they do want to bring in somebody like Cole, because you're looking at, you know, Bryce is making 27 next year. Arietta's making 20. McCutcheon's making 17. Segura's making almost 15. David Robertson, who didn't pitch most of last year, is making 11. Uh, Real Muto is going to make 10. I mean, that's a, that's a ton of money. They're, they're already committed like 170, 180 million for next year. And granted, if they feel comfortable paying luxury tax, then, then yeah, keep, keep throwing that money out there. But what we saw from Philly is that they have enough holes to where they, they might need to spread their money around a little bit, but it does terrify you knowing that they were so committed to, 
to the bit last year. We're team stupid money for better or worse. Should we have said this? No, but we did and we're sticking with it. So I think much in the way that financial flexibility became a running joke for Braves Twitter, then stupid money also became kind of a, a running joke in Phillies Twitter and all over baseball, really, uh, especially after they didn't wind up really performing last year. So I hope not. I really, I really, really hope not. I, I, I don't know. And this, this is one thing that I think Braves fans are going to harp on because now we can't make fun of the Nationals, the in the offseason. This kind of just writes itself. I'm not going to be one of those making fun of them. I actually would prefer my GM spend the money to make moves and those moves not work out and it only be money as opposed to being afraid to spend money. And I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions on Alex here. I'm just saying for those of you that like to jump on Philadelphia for spending money and it not working out, I think that's a dumb thing to get mad about, quite honestly. Um, I, I think people like to do it just because it's Philadelphia, and it's fun to make fun of that trash pit city for whatever reason. Um, but as far as a baseball perspective, I prefer my GMs willing to spend, my owners and GMs willing to spend whatever it takes to win. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's definitely setting up a very interesting offseason. Um, next week's episode, we'll probably dig into some more targets and maybe some specific targets as to why we like certain players. But for now, we're going to leave it off. Uh, we're going to leave that off for today. We're going to go ahead and take our first break. When we come back, it's going to be our patron of the month segment with Darren Stout. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on the Platinum Sombrero. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by Boys to Men's Warehouse. From large to small and big and tall, Boys to Men's Warehouse has got you covered. Literally. Our suits have a special wicking material so you won't have to wait till the water runs dry. And this breathable fabric will keep you cool through all four seasons of loneliness. You'll look so fresh, every Jezebel in town will be saying, I'll make love to you like you want me to. They'll be all over your inseam. Our custom pant legs are extra long so they won't ride up when you're on bended knee. We also offer rentals in case you only need those special threads for one sweet day. Come visit our newest location in Motown, Philly. Boys to Men's Warehouse. Patent pending. You wired me awake and hit me with a hand of broken nail. You tied my lead and pulled my chain to watch my blood begin to boil. But I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run i'm gonna break i'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run. hey everybody welcome back to the show Dylan and Doc joined with our good buddies from mybookie.ag, bringing you the show every week you guys know the spiel by now mybookie.ag the number one sports book in the world for any and all online betting, whether it's boxing, mixed martial arts, uh, World Series. You only got a couple games left. You better get that going on. And by the time you hear this episode, they're probably done by now. Uh, you got football going on, college football. Basketball just started up because it never ends. Hockey's back around somehow. The point is, mybookie.ag has all the lines you can possibly need. The most updated lines, the most prop bets of any sports book. Out there, mybookie.ag is the number one place to go. If you have a question about how a line works, if you're kind of a newbie in the whole thing, don't be afraid to ask questions. Mybookie.ag, their customer service is second to none. And if you use our promo code, armchair, or 
Just Chair. I believe it's Just Chair. I apologize, folks. I am getting them mixed up. We've got a new sponsor, as you guys heard in the first segment, and I'm very excited about that one. But MyBookie.ag deserves their right in the sun. So promo code CHAIR, C-H-A-I-R. They will give you a 100% deposit match on your initial deposit, that first deposit, up to $1,000. Just use the promo code CHAIR, MyBookie.ag. Play, win, and have a great time. All right. Doc and I are very, very happy to welcome you to the second segment. It is finally time for us to do another Patron of the Month. And if you guys are active enough on Twitter, you saw Doc's video. And our patron this week, Darren Stout. Darren, welcome to TPS. Glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time, man. Give us the, give us the story. Who, who is Darren Stout? Give us the, the elevator pitch. Um. Probably, uh, I'm a lot like Hank Hill. Um, <laughs> I kind of look like Hank Hill, kind of have the Hank Hill work ethic. So uh, I don't work in propane, though. I, I, I help manage uh, about 50 trucks that run up and down the roads, uh, hauling heavy machinery, and live in Livingston, Tennessee. Got uh, two teenagers that uh, don't care much for sports, but they tolerate it. And, uh, you know, I've been a Braves fan since, uh, since the early 80s. I got cable television in 1980. And uh, the 1981 season, during the strike, TBS was showing Richmond Braves games. And I started watching those. I was like nine years old then. And then in 82, the Braves started out 13-0. and And I thought, this team's never going to lose. And uh, I've pretty much been hooked since then. I was in, I was in Atlanta in '91, uh, the worst for first weekend. And uh, b- before that, I, I think it was either in '89 or '90. I was down there for a Willie Nelson concert after a game, and maybe I'd, the Braves lost a hundred that year. I can't remember exactly, but they were terrible. And, and then to be there in '91, uh, whenever the division was clinched, man, that was just great moment in my life right there that was the 108 loss team i believe one of the worst teams ever um very impressive that you became a braves fan in the 80s and managed to stick through the 80s I'm oh sure, yeah i'm sure there were a lot of drop-offs during that time well i remember being excited that the maybe the 90 braves had signed jim presley was it 90 or 89 somewhere i know i'm a lot older than you guys but i was so excited about, <clears throat> about the jim presley signing and I remember being excited about the Nikasaski signing that let me down. But Dale Murphy, Dale Murphy's my hero. So, I love the guy. So I would I would assume that you're on the Dale belongs in the Hall of Fame train. One thousand percent, yes. Such a crock that he's not in there. And uh, and sorry, Harold Baines, but good grief. <laughs> now, Dale, we've talked about that a fair bit. That Harold Baines somehow gets in and. Uh... Once you let somebody like him in there, or you guys by now more than know my thoughts on uh, some of the recent crop of guys getting big-time targets with one Andrew Jones getting like 5% of the vote, um, I, I kind of well, think it, the Hall of Fame is kind of a crock, quite honestly. It tends to reward longevity and not not just the how talented you were while you were playing angle. I mean, Dale won back-to-back MVPs in 82 and 83. Uh, and if you're going to keep guys out for being jerks, shouldn't you get bonus points for being a decent person? 
You'd think so. I mean, you'd figure that rule would work both ways. And if Omar Vizquel is going to get let in, despite the fact that he couldn't hit a lick, then I don't see why you would. I The only thing you could say about Murph was that um, the peak of his career didn't last real long. But it's the same argument that people use against Andrew, um, that, that their peak of their career was too short and then they became an average player afterwards. I'm on your side. I think, um, I think Dale deserves to be in if you're going to allow – uh, if, if half the guys that are in the Hall of Fame, guys like Luis Aparicio, who were, were not good hitters at all, could only play one side of the ball, then I think you should reward guys equally who only played offense very well and didn't have good defensive careers or what have you. Uh, to me, that just sen- te- seems to make sense. If you're going to let Edgar Martinez get in there, then you're kind of opening the door because now you're going to have to judge based on guys who played actual demanding positions every single day too. So. Well, and Dale played for – I don't remember the exact length of his streak, but I know he had a really long consecutive game streak as well. So. I think that part of the reason why he gets dinged is because, it, you know, in 82, the team was obviously good, you know, when he, when he, won, when he uh, won that MVP, the first of two. But for a long time, it just got into some really, really lean years, and he was kind of the only real attraction down here. And because of mm-hmm. that, it's, it's, similar, it's similar to Trout where people are saying, you know, Trout has never – you know, he's only played one playoff game in his entire career. Like it, like it's some type of statement on who he is as a player. It's a similar thing with Dale when you look at him and go, well, I mean, he wasn't really getting a whole lot of playoff time either, really. So that kind of dings on him, which it's different for somebody like Andrew, who was on a winner for forever. His entire you know? Braves so, tenure. Yeah, I, I, wonder, I wonder how much that actually winds up getting taken into account. But so you were you were a huge, huge baseball kid growing up too. were you did you ever get into like football, basketball? Were you into like uh, competitive badminton, anything like that? Or was baseball was always just it? Well, baseball was the I I played Little League and then I played one year. We called it Babe Ruth year as a 13 year old. And I played a little tennis in high school, which is shocking, but it's true. And uh, and I, I was a. Yeah, when I was a kid, see, our te- our television comes out of Nashville, and we got the Dallas Cowboys every week. So I was a Dallas Cowboys fan. Don't really, I, I don't really care about the NFL much now. I claim the Titans, but I don't care. <laughs> I mean, they they don't upset me. Whatever they do, it's just yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. The Braves can make me angry. That's about it. So that's that's how I judge whether or not I really care. And I'm not much of an NBA guy. I do enjoy watching Trey Young now, though. He's a lot of fun. I mean, you're up in Tennessee, so how often are you actually getting to Braves games? Is it kind of a rare occurrence for you? Do you make the trip down a couple times? Do you mean watching them on television or coming to Atlanta? Actually coming to SunTrust. Oh, just about once a year kind of thing. So I, I can be at the park from my house in three hours and a half or something like that. But uh, I love, love the new ballpark, by the way. Isn't it great? I mean, for, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how it is for, for you, but like for me, it blows Turner field out of the water. It might, might just be without question. The only people who think Turner field are better were the, was, was better were the people that could get there in two minutes. Turner field was an absolute nightmare. Yeah. I, yeah. I know. I like Fulton County stadium, but just because of, the memories of being there as a as a teenager and, and the things that I saw happen there, but I hated Turner Field. I it I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't enjoy the experience in any way. 
there and and i think much of the the hate against suntrust park was just driven by the hac and uh people that wanted to be mad about them moving outside the perimeter uh, i think that there's yeah. probably something to that they were pretty vocal detractors of that entire move because it's only what is it like eight miles if that I mean, it's it's not very far out of it, but a lot of that was driven by the AJC and their claims that it was going to make traffic worse and all the stuff that really just did not come to pass. The the worst thing you could say about it was the tax hike that it that it affected that basically taxpayers ended up paying for that stadium. But when you take a look at the two stadiums objectively and the things that you can do, the battery is so far and away a better experience that, that you can't even really consider them the same league. Like comparing Turner Field and SunTrust Park is is almost like comparing SunTrust and Gwinnett State and Cool Ray Field. Uh, it's just there's no comparison. Turner Field was a complete cookie cutter stadium. Um, there was no defining characteristic in it. There was nothing to do around it unless you felt like uh, risking walking down one road or the other. You kind of flip a coin, figure out which one's the right one to go down. Um, the traffic was a nightmare. Parking was absolutely horrid. So yeah, I don't know. You have to pay twenty bucks to park at, at SunTrust to get a good ticket. Oh well, uh, I I will more than pay that twenty dollars to not take an hour and a half to get out of the stadium. What well, what I remember about SunTrust was there seems like there was like a liquor store maybe close to the out in the parking lot, and and that was it. I mean, wasn't that it? For I mean, Turner, for Turner Field, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Turner Field. Yeah, yeah, I seems like I remember a liquor store being close by, and I remember that. And one point, maybe a KFC kind of close. Maybe that may have been in Fulton County, but I don't remember anything being around the stadium uh, that you could like, you know, go and hang out, that kind of stuff. No, there, there really kind of wasn't anything. And even for as many times as I wound up going to Turner, I got lost every single time. Now, I, I'm a bad example here because I, I could get lost doing anything, but I mean, I could get some trust with my eyes closed. I, maybe that's just on me, but I just something about it. It was just always in a bad spot. Well, it's super easy. You just go down seventy five, get off at exit two sixty, and literally just stay straight. Hey, co- coming from the north where I'm coming from, it is God, it's it's it. I, it seems like it would maybe take me at times an hour after I got inside two eighty five to get on down to uh, Turner Field. I may be exaggerating that, but I'm, I'm I think I can remember taking a long time once I got inside the perimeter to make it onto the stadium and get parked. I mean, I I hated it. I rarely went down to Turner Field, even when tickets were like $13 a piece for a, for a good outfield seat. I, I just wouldn't go. But that's why I'm glad SunTrust is around. It's a lot easier to get to. It's a much better looking park. And I think another big thing happens to be that the Braves are finally good again, which makes SunTrust Park a lot more fun to go to and enjoy everything around the battery. Now, last two seasons – have been really, really good regular seasons. Um, not great postseasons, which unfortunately here in Atlanta we're kind of used to across all of our sports now. But the last two years, you, you've seen a, a big crop of, of improvement and, and young talent that the Braves haven't seen really since, I guess you could say, Chipper and Andrew were the last gigantic players. Maybe you could say the baby Braves with McCann and, and Frank Coor. Um, maybe even when Hayward and Freeman first came up, Hayward was was uh, one of those absolute superstar prospect guys that everybody tuned in for. But over the last two years, do you kind of consider the rebuild a success or is it still kind of in progress? Where are you at as far as uh, the thought process when it comes to this Braves team? Oh, I'm, I'm so pleased. Uh, because, and, and maybe, maybe 
me living through the late 80s gives me a different perspective but the way i view it uh it's it was a lot of good fun entertainment from march until uh you know game three of the playoffs uh, game four was kind of painful and then you know, game five was over before i got home from work but i think it's definitely a success and I'm so excited about uh, Acuna and Albies and 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 Soroka, and I, I know that uh, some folks are really high on Max Freed from what I hear from certain podcasts. So uh, and and I I enjoy I I think the future's bright. So I think it's great. Well, and I'm sure that it does have to be different for you too because this wasn't even your first rebuild. You know, there's some people that got so frustrated ha- halfway through the one that we just went through. And then you've got somebody who was there for the, for the late eighties. And like Dylan said, 108 lost team. I mean, the past couple of years, you know, 2015, 2016, like it never got as bad as it did back then. So it's gotta be pretty sweet for you. So what is, what does 2020 look like for you to, to propel it? I mean, are you world series or bust for this year coming up or are you, I think they need to win a playoff series in 2020. I mean, and I think they need. I think they need a power arm that can that that can go out and strike people out. Um, you know, I do not want to see Dallas Keuchel back in Atlanta, and and uh, I, I don't know who that who that pitcher is, but I want to see somebody that can that can go out and and strike people out. Uh, I'm not even. I, I know Garrett Cole is not coming through that door, but uh, but I mean, they need somebody, somebody like that. I think, and uh, I, I would hope that they're gonna that they'll resign Donaldson, and I expect us to be disappointed after they do. Like as far as subsequent moves after that, or do you no, think that he, no, he's step per- back? I, I expect his performance to drop off the cliff. That's normally what happens when free, free agents come to Atlanta to die, don't they? Or maybe I'm imagining that. So, so I'm ex- I'm expecting him to get a large contract and then be terrible. You know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the first time. I mean, we can even what? go back to we can even go back to Keuchel just a minute ago. It's, he wasn't outright bad, but he wasn't the Cy Young winner that uh, that everybody was hoping that that they get. I thought Keichel did exactly what I expected him to do. Um, this is a different day and age of baseball. This isn't the same the same way that the game's played as when Keichel was a, a Cy Young winner. Uh, that That's just not really his game. And if you look at his career, that season was an absolute outlier as far as his normal career. He's a good pitcher. He's a good number three, number four on most teams, on most good teams. Uh, but he's not anybody that can really go out there and just flat out dominate. And for me, I'm along with you, Darren. I'm, I've always been a very outspoken. Uh, I'm an outspoken proponent of getting high strikeout pitchers because that's what you need come playoff time. If the game is the more contact you give up, the more home runs you're going to give up because that's just the way that hitters are these days with the with the juice ball and the way that uh, hitting philosophy has changed. Give me a guy that can set down ten in a game. Give me a guy like. Like you, Darvish, who every time out there, he's striking out 10 plus. I mean, he had what, five straight starts where he struck out 10? Give me a guy like Noah Syndergaard. Give me, just give me somebody that on any given night can go out there and not just 
keep you in a game, but can overpower another opposing lineup and a good opposing lineup. Because that's going to be the great equalizer. When you talk about the difference between great regular season teams and great postseason teams, when you look at the pitching, and everybody likes to argue that pitching and defense wins championships, um, it doesn't. But when people talk about the difference in pitching in the postseason, all these guys that tend to be premier postseason guys, they're all high strikeout guys because that's what works in the postseason. You're facing the best offenses in the game. If you're a guy that relies on giving up contact, you're going to get crushed. You brought up Noah Syndergaard, I, I think, and and Darren, you're, you're right. You know, Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole's not not coming here for for any number of reasons. But that type of guy um, <laughs> for thirty million a year, no, he ain't coming here. Right, and Alex Anthopoulos is not going to go handing out an eight year deal to to a twenty nine year old pitcher. At least I would assume not anyway. But for somebody like Syndergaard, who you could get for two years, I think he's got two years left on his deal. Yep. I mean, that's somebody that kind of fits that same profile where it's like somebody who can step in and get directly to striking guys out and getting away from the Mets defense could wind up being a really good thing for him. But I agree. I will I will certainly agree with you. I'm not necessarily – I mean, I obviously want the Braves to win the World Series next year, but I don't think next year is necessarily World Series or bust. Uh, but I, I do think that at least – just take the step. I mean, this this year was the first time the Braves have even led a playoff series in 17 years. So that's, you know, baby steps to, to the playoff series victory. Nah, screw that. Doc's a little bit more patient than me. Uh, I want a postseason victory. I want I want to make it to a World Series. I mean, you've, you've seen this year, just based on the fact that Washington managed to beat the Dodgers in a postseason series, the Braves really blew an opportunity this year. And... I'm not as I'm not Doc is a lot nicer and more even tempered than me. I guess I'm the fiery portion of the TPS podcast, but uh I I want the Braves to go out there and I'm tired of hearing this whole well we're a small market team, we have to play within a budget, yada yada yada. I'm I'm tired of that stuff. Go out there and it for me it's not enough to make the playoffs. It's not enough to win the division. That's the one thing about the Nationals making the World Series. The Doc, I think you brought this up last week. I can't remember if you said it in the show or if we just spoke on the phone about it when I was in uh, Panama City. Was that the Nationals going to the to the World Series here? It might actually spur the Braves on to have to actually make a concerted effort this offseason because you don't have that whole everybody's chasing us line anymore. They can still say, "Yeah, we won the division," but Winning the winning the regular season trophy doesn't mean anything when it gets to the postseason. And not even just as a Braves fan, but as an Atlanta fan, somebody who's lived here since 91, who's lived here their whole life and has been an Atlanta fan forever. The, the first major team to actually win something of substance, whether it's a playoff series or, or win a championship, that team is going to hold the hearts of all of Atlanta for years and years to come. And I know the Atlanta United are outstanding and they're going for another championship. Um, I know if you're into lacrosse that the uh, the Storm are really good. But those those are secondary. And I'm sorry to all of you United fans out there. I promise I'm not hating on soccer. Um, but those are secondary in the Atlanta market to, um, to the football teams, whether you're a Georgia fan is – more who I'm talking to. But if you're a Tech fan, whatever. Um, the last couple of years, you haven't really cared about how they've done. But if you're a Falcons fan, if you're a Braves fan, even if you're a Hawks fan, the first team to be able to actually do something and not embarrass themselves on the national stage, that's going to be the team that captures the city. And I think it's about time we start expecting that from the Braves. Well, I can certainly say in the early ni- in 91, the Braves had captured the city. So you, were, were you, 
Were you born then? I was born or? in 91. So oh, by the wow. time I was like 95, I don't really remember. The first real, the first time I can really remember, like I would watch the games and stuff when I was young, but but not with the same type of eye to be able to really tell how good a team was. 97, 98 was probably the first time that I can remember being able to actually sit in front of the TV and really understand the intricacies of, of what was going on, going on and how one team was just better than another. So uh, I came to it at the right time to be a Braves fan. Um, unfortunately, after after I finally started really figuring out what everything was, uh, unfortunately, it was very short-lived. I can remember this awesome billboard that said, Atlanta will never be a baseball town. And it had a tomahawk through it. And I think it was quoting, was that, was that, I don't remember who, maybe was it, it wasn't Faye Vincent, was it? Uh, whoever, I think they were quoting whoever the commissioner was or somebody like that. So it might have been, it might have been Faye Vincent. But that, I, that was just, I, I'm telling you that, and I know they won, and I, sorry to ramble on here, but in 95, that World Series victory was not as sweet to me as the 91 team was and just how they kind of came out of nowhere. I was, I was alive for that, but I, I, I wasn't completely committed to it yet, but, <laughs> but I mean, I was, I was paying attention, but I still, I, I wasn't like, I wasn't full in it. I was terrible at baseball. So I, I didn't have, I didn't have that to associate it with. I've been like a stats nerd since, you know, since before I turned 10 years old. But, uh, but like in a similar way, I think there's something about, even for as much as I love the 2019 team, the 2018 team, there seems something so special and um, sparky about it. And in the same way that I think that, you know, cause I, I fully am expecting sometime in the next couple of years, Acuna, all these Soroka, this core that we're in the process of building around, I think they are going to win a world series now, whether it's 2020 or 23 or whatever it's going to be. But like that 2018 team is like, there was something so wonderful about it. I'd kind of in the same way as that 91 team. So um, I, I hope I have the opportunity to compare how I feel after uh, the Braves win the 2023 world series uh, with how I felt when they won the 2018 NL East. But we'll, we'll, ha- we'll talk about that in a few years. Well, can I can I ask a question? Is this allowed? No. Yeah. Of okay. course. Okay. Uh, do they don't they have to start hitting some people uh, for throwing at a carina? I, I don't so. understand. To me, I don't. That was the worst part of this entire season to me. Like it was such a great season. The playoffs sucked, but the worst part of that playoff loss was how you responded to Acuna being absolutely targeted two consecutive games by the Cardinals, and nobody said a word. To me, that was the weakest thing in the world. Um, you can say, I don't know, people want to say that that's Braves' way. Uh, Bobby didn't have a fear of hitting anybody, so I don't consider that. Well, I was going to say, if Terry Pendleton had been in the dugout, wouldn't somebody have been getting hit? Uh, I mean, I've never seen it. I've I've played a lot of baseball, obviously not at that type of level, but I've played a lot over my years, and I've never seen I've never seen somebody get hit on accident and nobody say a word, much less being hit on purpose uh, in a 12-run game in the playoffs and not anybody got off the bench. I've never seen that happen. To me, that was absolutely despicable. Uh, and for me, that's where the Braves get the most, uh, the most amount of, of shame, really, and, and the most amount of um, – that's the word I'm looking for here, but 
that that's where most people I think are are the most disappointed in them is the way that they handled the playoff series and and the way they handled it, especially after the whole Acuna, the whole Acuna incident. And to me, was symptomatic of why, or of symptomatic of how that se- that how that uh, series went. I'll say, if I could actually learn to speak today, it would be pretty awesome. Um, that was a very weak. It was a very weak move, and it was a very weak finish to what should have been a a super season. As if they could have just gotten past the Cardinals like they were supposed to. We've already handled the Nationals very well all year. We outlined uh, during the past couple shows about why it wouldn't have been a slam dunk against Washington, but this team was far better than they than they reacted in the playoffs, and far better than how they reacted to those two situations. So, to me, that was super weak. I really don't want to get into that because it's going to make me very angry. But I will be expecting somebody to get hit the first time that the Braves play the Cardinals next year. I think it's too late to do anything by that point. It doesn't mean anything when it's not in the moment anymore. Um, but I'm expecting something to get done. With that being said, before we get to angry Dylan here, okay, we do. We are going to move on to extra innings here real quick, and we're going to start the fun portion of the show. And, Doc, I'm already getting Twitter hit-ups about you not being fun, so we're going to dispel the rumors. Doc, you are going to start off with our extra innings. You've planned this together. Everybody can see we're about to get off-season Doc here in a week or two when the World Series is done. Uh, and Doc can start focusing on all the players that he wants to have and the money, and his eyes will light up in stat nerdy glee. Uh, but with that being said, Doc, why don't you lead us off? Who in the world would say, I'm not fun? I'm so fun. Screw y'all. All right. Extra innings. Darren, you know how it works. We've got five questions for you. And then, of course, at the very end, you will have the finisher question. Okay. First things first. You are in a position to ban one food for all of existence until you die. After you die, it comes back to life. But for the rest of your life, you are, you are given permission to completely wipe one food off the face of the earth. What food are you going to save everybody from? You're not talking like an onion. I, I can't just ban that food. I, it needs to. Uh, oh, you can ban an onion if you want. Yes, please. Huh. So is it like just raw onions? Do you hate sauteed onions? I, I just I, I hate onions. Well, yes, I hate them. Yes. That and cucumbers. So sorry. <laughs> no, no that's that's fine i kind of i kind of feel you on cucumbers and the onions one that kind of that kind of surprises me because i love them but i mean i don't get the decision to to ban the food i still you? eat from the children's menu so there you go okay okay fair enough and then in that case i'm surprised you're not attacking something like uh broccoli which uh, adults will tell you your entire life uh, it gets better as you get older which no i'm talking like chicken fingers and french fries is what i'm is what i so you don't even have like there there's nothing green in sight on this kid's menu so no no <laughs> fair enough fair enough dylan if you were in a position to ban one food or i should have also mentioned it can this can be like a condiment if there if there's anything in particular that that you're not feeling passionate about I'm really glad that you asked this question, and there are so many things to choose from. I would get rid of a lot of different foods, but number one on my list, Brussels sprouts. Get those tiny, disgusting cabbages out of my life and out of my existence. I'm tired of people telling me, oh, no, they're good. You just got to put them in the right sauce. No, if you have to cover them up with a sauce that tastes good, it means they're not good. So Brussels sprouts, you can get on out of here. Oh, I hate to be the one to tell you, I'm actually growing Brussels sprouts in my backyard right now. They're going to be delicious because Brussels sprouts are amazing. You, you just have to know how to do it, man. It's not even about the sauce. 
It's about the seasoning. But that it's doesn't all matter. about That's the seasoning. Okay. Then you're just tasting the seasoning and you're not tasting the Brussels sprout. It's just a tiny cabbage. It stinks. Salt. Salt is delicious. Sometimes it's all you need. <laughs> what about you, Doc, Mr. I eat everything? What's the one thing you're kicking out? I don't eat horseradish. Horseradish can go to hell, dude. I don't have it. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with horseradish. It's how, the most bad. How are you going to tell me how good Brussels sprouts are and onions, but you can't deal with some horseradish? Horseradish is terrible. Horseradish pickles are like 1B. I will allow pickles, but like horseradish, I've had... Do you know how hard it is for a condiment to like ruin your day? I've had it happen before with horseradish. Dude, so. how are you not going to eat horsey sauce? It's one of the best things ever invented. So many Arby's. I mean, Arby's sucks, but I'll go there specifically for the curly fries and the horsey sauce, man. Okay, the fries are different, okay? But that's that's the thing. The fr- it's similar to your Brussels sprouts take. The fries, they don't need anything. They don't need the horsey sauce. They I, mean, just I don't need put to horsey sauce on the fries. I get the horsey uh, sauce to cover up the crappy, disgusting, non-gelat or gelatinous substance that they call meat. If I have enough horsey sauce on there, I don't taste that disgusting meat. Fair enough. We're going to revisit this at, at another time. But in the, in the interest of moving on, Darren, your second question. From now on and for the rest of your life, th- there's a weird theme here that th- these things are only effective until you die. Uh, from now until the, uh, the end of your life, every song that you hear will be performed by the exact same person. Who do you choose? Oh, no. Tom Petty. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Did you ever see him live? I did not. He was he was around for forever. Like he was he was big. And it was mud crutch before he went solo. There was like him and the heartbreakers. But yeah, he was like he was around for forever. He, uh, he was supposed was- to be excellent. The first uh, music that I bought, quote unquote, with my own money was Hard Promises. And I had coins in a Ziploc bag and went to the Radio Shack and bought that cassette like in 1981 or 82. Man, I am not over Tom Petty dying yet. So, that, what's, what's on? Is that Hard Promises? Yeah, The Waiting is, uh, is like the, was like the hit off of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I know that one. It's weird how it's weird how the um, stuff like that'll hit you, well, you know, like with somebody that you never knew that was able to make that big of an impact. Yeah, Tom, Tom Petty and Skip Carey, uh, you know, probably the two people that have died that I, that I didn't know in any way that really bothered me. Well, and Phil Hartman would be the third. No, those are good. Those are all really good. Skip Skip was hard too. A lot of, a lot of times growing up. Growing up with Skip, I think I think a lot of people in British country took that really really hard. Dylan, when when Skip Carey died, Dylan, how how old were you? Was it two thousand eight? Is that when that happened? That was Skip Pass. Mm, somewhere around there. So I was right around seventeen. Anywhere from sixteen to eighteen would have been my age range at that point. So yeah, you were you were well into it by then. Yeah, but. I don't have a ton of Skip Carey memories growing up. I mean, I, I came into it, like I said, I didn't really start knowing uh, enough of what was going on. Like I knew I loved watching baseball. I loved Chipper Jones and I loved I loved the Braves and I loved certain players. But I didn't really know um, up until really probably about 10, 11 or 12 uh, where, where I started really getting into – really started getting into baseball uh, just aside from the fact that I was playing enough to understand all that different stuff. So I got a little bit of Skip – um, and a little bit of Pete and Skip, which is still my favorite partnership ever. 
Um, but not enough to where, like, for me, when Larry Munson died, that was a big, big moment for Georgia fans because I remember listening to Larry on the radio, um, and, and I would turn down the TV volume to listen to Larry do the game. I'd sync it up like a lot of people do now. Uh, people who don't want to listen to Chip will will sync up the Braves radio broadcast so they can uh, so they can hear Jim, <laughs> so they can hear Jim Powell call the game. Uh, so I, I didn't have that same type of attachment. They are still my favorite. They will forever be my favorite. Um, but it didn't hit quite the same way for for those of you that grew up with with Skip and Pete. Hey, can I? Can, I'm sorry, guys. Can I ask something else? Go ahead. Of course. Cut, feel free to cut me off and block me here. But uh, what's up with the? Uh, is Jim? It, it seemed like Jim was only on about half the radio games this year. Was that by design, or what's up with that? Or can we talk about it? Um, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to talk about it, but I will anyway. Um, a lot of it was they were giving Don a really good send off this year. Um, so they were letting him do as much as he wanted to do. They were working in a lot of the rotations with Nick Green, uh, and with, um, our buddy at 680, but they were working with a bunch of different people this year as they were kind of trying to figure out who would do, uh, who would do the best job working with Joe as well as getting him acclimated to radio. Um, I would not expect Jim to, I would expect him to call more games next year. Um, Sometimes, you know, sometimes there's a lot of people, a lot of voices in that booth, and you got to see who, who's going to do well as far as ratings go. They always like doing former players because it gives you a, a, a unique color perspective. Uh, and you just got to find the right play-by-play guys to work with them. But I, I think we'll hear a lot more of, uh, of Jim and Joe next year. Okay. I thought they were pretty good. I thought Jim and Joe worked very well together. For me, Jim and Ben is the, is the best. We'll get a lot more Ben, too. I think they're starting to work Ben in more. Um, just just from what I've noticed, and Ben does a great job too. But uh, I, Jim is 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 the radio guy essentially. That when when people think of Braves radio right now, you think of Jim, and I think Jim and Joe worked really well. They got along really well, and it was a breath of fresh air for Joe to um, to be off the the TV stage. <laughs> he needed that. He needed that change big time. But Dylan, I do have to ask you now. One vocalist to sing every song you hear for the rest of your life. Is it going to be? This was a really hard question, and then it wasn't. I figured out the perfect answer. Johnny Cash. Because if he's singing every song I hear forever, that means they're all going to be covers. And I challenge anybody to find a better cover artist than Johnny Cash. That is a really good point, actually. That's a really, really good point. His version of Rusty Cage by Soundyard. I know that the one that he did of, of Hurt by Nine Inch Nails oh, was really good. But it's, it's, this cover of Rust Cage is, uh, you know, my thoughts on Soundgarden. So I obviously, yeah, the fact that wonderful. you like that and weren't personally offended is a testament to how good he was. Well, and, well, and how about how about his cover of Rowboat, you know, the Beck song? I love it. Yeah, for those of you that did not know, Johnny Cash covered a Beck song. Yeah, R- Rowboat. It's on one of the first couple of those Rick Rubin uh, albums that he did. And uh, yeah, man, it's if you don't know that, you need to check that out. And then you should also check out the uh, the Beck version too. So I had Good no stuff. idea. You just kind of blew my mind a little bit. I had no idea that uh, that he covered Beck, and I'm a huge Beck fan. It's it's on an album called uh, something like Stereopathic Soul Manure or something like that. And and I, I think it's. It's it's not on any of the streaming services, but I think you can still buy the CD or something like that. Okay, 
No, I'm I'm absolutely gonna listen to that. That's that's excellent, Dylan. We might have new new intro music in the uh, in the future. Doc, can you not spoil my creative buzz here? Oh come on! You, you know what? I don't know if I'm editing this week, but if I'm not, the you know, feel free to edit edit that part out. I'm this editing one where this I'm week, and it. I just need you to not see. I need you to leave some things to be suspenseful. We don't need to. We don't need to show everything. Much like those women that decided that uh, they were going to show the tatas for cancer, we don't need to give away everything during the episode, sir. Some things are better left understated. I'm being compared to boobs right now. That's fine. You Whatever. Can take that Leave one us. of two ways. Boobs are awesome. Le- they were both very, very beautiful women. Um, on the other hand, I, I don't. By the way, we haven't spoken of that yet, so. I kind of want to talk about that just to break up real quick before we get right back to the questions. Uh, how did everybody feel about that? Um, it was a trifle unnecessary, um, given the <laughs> given the national stage. And I, I personally, I did not see it live while while it happened. Um, and I'm, I haven't seen anything yet uh, showing their banners or any other association they had with breast cancer. But um, it was just a trifle unnecessary. So, Darren, I'm gonna I'm gonna allow you to bring us home on this one. Well, uh, my wife mentioned it to me, so I didn't actually see it. So, I saw. I, it I had already I had already gone to bed uh, whenever that happened, and uh, then I, I've heard a lot of discussion about it. But I think they got what they wanted. I think uh, I think they've. Uh, I'm sure they've driven people to their various sites or whatever, and they've got their publicity. So. I doubt that their hearts are broken that they've been banned from going to baseball games. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a nice pair of boobs. Um, but I I was really I, – like, I don't want to say, like, I was angry and yelling. But, like, I was a little bit disgusted at it. And I did not think I would have that emotion over something like that. But, like, like you said, it was unnecessary, Doc. I kind of did, too. Like, I, I, I don't know. I – Kids all around in the stands and everything, and watching at home and stuff. I, I, I wasn't a fan of it. I'm sorry. And calling somebody who takes pictures of themselves on Instagram a model is like calling DJ Khaled an actual music artist. Like they're they're not the same. But I, I don't I don't know. I don't want to get too bogged down into that. Uh, we, we do have to finish up these questions here and wrap this episode up. I, I'm just I need I had needed to get that out. Fair enough. No, I I understand. Uh, Darren, what is a, a physical achievement that you are abnormally proud of? Uh, when I was 11 years old playing Little League baseball, I hit one off the, the center field fence and uh, barely made it to second. But unlike uh, Acuna, I was running. And uh, <laughs> Sorry, Dylan. And I, didn't, I, I ran as hard. I'm just very slow, and I made it to second base and then scored the winning run. So never hit a home run. That was as close as I got. <laughs> I like how you were able to throw a little bit of shade at Acuna <laughs> during it, just to keep the keep the narrative going. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm been, sorry. <laughs> I'm sure you would have thrown at him if uh, if you had been playing in the same game. No, I would have. Uh, I'm sorry, but they should, can, can, can I bring up something? And then, I, 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 do you guys remember whenever the Pirates were in Atlanta one Sunday afternoon and Garrett Cole was hitting everybody? I remember it from Musgrove, and uh, that, that's the last one I really remember. Was this, this was when Alex Wood was pitching that Sunday afternoon and the terrible Freddie Gonzalez was managing the team. And 
and Alex and Garrett Cole came up and they didn't hit him. So I, I, I mean, this was when times were bad. I don't, I don't remember what season it was. <laughs> probably somewhere but around I'm, 2016, probably. But I, I'm for protecting Acuna. So yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have thrown at him. Uh, I wouldn't have been a cardinal jerk about it. <laughs> well, at that point, everybody just had their tail between their legs, and they're like, "Oh, well, they're just throwing at Ronnie." Well, whatever, man, just insult the injury at that point. What about you, Doc? I think I have a, a clue of what yours will be, but why don't you tell the world what is what is your physical achievement that you're far too proud of? Well, I'm curious what what do you think it is? I think it's going to be one of your Spartan race things because the fact that you can get through those is stupid amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> in Beckon, well, in 2017, that was that was the year. Like, there's three different distances: the regular distances, and then there's like the ultra, which is like um, a marathon with like 40 obstacles or something. It's preposterous. But uh, in 2017, um, I got my Spartan trifecta. I did the the sprint, the super, and I did the beast. The beast was like 14.2 miles and 35 obstacles, and took us four hours and some change to finish. But it was, yeah, it was, and I don't even know if that's one that I'm like abnormally proud of because it was hard. <laughs> I earned it. <laughs> I'm, no, exactly as, as, I'm exactly as proud of that moment as I, as I should be. So, um, abnormally proud, you know, I could, um, you know, I can, I was fat once and now I can do strict pull-ups. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a big moment for me. What about you? Um, do you want, do you want like a sports moment or do you, or do you want one that I'm far too proud of for how easy it actually is to do? I think I'm more interested in the second one. Okay. Um, the fact that as of like three years ago, I could still do a, a correct cartwheel. <laughs> I mean, how bad would you hurt yourself if you try to do one right now? I mean, not uh, right now, but like quite honestly, I might, I'll probably do one after this show. Now that I brought that up again, um, <laughs> I can still do them. I think we're going to need video. We'll see how the test run goes first, but if I can pull it off, I'll definitely do it again. Well, take, take, take video just in case, whether you nail it or whether you just completely bust it and hit your face. The, the people need to see. I, I need to see. I've got to know. <laughs> I mean, if I can get this done, I mean, I'll just brag about it all the time. So yeah, I mean, the fact that I could do a cartwheels is a physical achievement that, um, it's really not difficult, and I shouldn't be as proud of it as I am, but there you go. I'd be terrified to even try, so you might also be as, as exactly proud as you need to be of that moment. Okay, Darren, number four. One night, you go to sleep as a human in your bed, but the next morning, you wake up in a garage, and you are a car. Uh, you don't get to be Lightning McQueen from cars, but what type of car would you be? Uh, 1966 Mustang. That's pretty fabulous. Is that is that like your your dream? Is that the pinnacle for you? Is that your dream car? Well, my dad had several of them and sold them before I was born. But yeah, yeah, that probably would be that or a King Ranch uh, F one fifty would suit me just fine now. All right, all right. What about you, Dylan? This is a far more difficult question than it originally appears, but there's really only one car. 1969 Plymouth Roadrunner. That somehow fits. No. 
Not a lot of people had them. Understated, underappreciated, but one of the most beautiful muscle cars of a beautiful generation. And that's and that you uh, believe that to be fitting to your personality. I don't I know do. about that, but they are fast. Okay. See, when, like when I was thinking of mine, I'm just thinking of like, you know, if I if I could pour all of my human traits into a into one car and what would come out not even something i oh, would no. choose to drive oh no like just what what would if if dylan became a car personified oh i'd be stuck as like some stupid equinox or some garbage <laughs> like that. i'd be like a 2000 a used 2005 honda accord that's got like a headlight out or something so um yeah, I I wish I wish I was a car guy. I wish I was m- more like super into the muscle cars or had a little bit more. Just, I wish that did stuff for me. I remember growing up, my brother like got super into cars, and he he got like a some. This was right around the time of Fast and the Furious. And he got something that was just preposterously souped up. He shaved off the door handles, which looks super cool. And you like press the button and the door just pops open. But then when the battery dies and you have to use the key and like crawl in through the trunk, then it's like, okay, well you look like an asshole. Um, but I never, I never was able to get into cars. So like, even, even when I became one, I would be just completely unspectacular. Okay. Well, that's about enough of that. Uh, <laughs> number five, Darren, this is the last question before you, uh, you will have to tell us your embarrassing childhood story. But number five, what is a household chore that you would sell your soul to never have to do again? Cleaning the siding, like washing the, the siding on the exterior of the house. That's a good one. That's a, that's a lot of work. Should I be doing that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I was looking at Aries today and it looks, uh, it, it's changing colors. <laughs> yeah well god for your sake i hope you don't ever have to do that again and i hope you don't have to sell your soul to not have to do it either <laughs> dylan i think we might have had this question on here before and i think i know exactly when we had it so i'm going to go back and contrast our answers what about you yeah i don't know what my answer was it could have been something as simple as taking out the trash because it's just an annoyingly short amount of time but cleaning gutters is also one that I hate because somehow it's always me that has to be on the ladder and just me. And somehow, like, I don't end up having a spotter on the ladder. So at least at least once per gutter cleaning trip, I am uh, teeter-tottering on that ladder trying to walk it like stilts and not fall over. It's like that scene in Christmas Vacation where he's just like jump scooting the ladder across while he's stapling the lights to the house. Yeah, only there's a lot more angry muttering about the fact that nobody's holding a ladder for me. Right. <laughs> I think I think that was in the outtakes. What about you? I I actually don't even know how to answer this, and I, and I think I, I think I said the same thing last time. Like, I don't see dust. Like to me, it just doesn't exist. And that's I, a good I will, one. I'll do anything around the house. You know what I mean? But Val, she looks at me and she's like, you don't see it. I can't even get mad at you because I know you don't see it. And meanwhile, you know, you wipe your finger like on my desk or something. It's just like, Jesus, have you ever wiped this down in your entire life? I haven't. So it's counter to the question because this implies that it's something that I actually already do. So I'm just, I would sell my soul to continue not ever having to dust. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. So, all right, Darren, I bought you as much time as I could, man. You got to tell us an embarrassing childhood story. Uh, it was in uh, 
PE and uh, we were doing some kind of back in the eighties, there was some push to make kids be less fat and uh, presidential something or another. And I was trying to do a pull up or a chin up and I was failing. And the way I was slapping my elbows, I started, I was known as the chicken after that for some time. <laughs> oh my God. So, so that was my nickname for, for a time. It was chicken. They got you on the presidential fitness test and your classmates got you calling you chicken for a pull up. Oh, that's yes. Yes. So, so it was so the, the presidential fitness test was a thing then. Correct. Yeah. Kids are jerks. <laughs> oh God. It's worse because the nickname lives on longer than the story. People will forget why they're calling you chicken. Well, I haven't gone to any of my reunions, so there you go. Would you say that you're scared or that you're too chicken? I'm sorry. I should, I should <laughs> Thank you. Thank I'm you. sorry. I'm sorry. Um, no, that's 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 a good one, dude. And I swear, like, half the time when we do these, they took place in P.E. Like, it's, everybody's got some P.E. was a battleground, man. That was where you separated the cool kids from the uncool kids, and you did not. It was not far across that line for you to be a cool kid and then fall to the uncool ranks. It's, yeah, it just takes one faux pas and pee. One getting so. hit in the nuts with a dodgeball or hitting in the face or, or something. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. You cannot show any level of weakness, when, especially you know if you're if you're going to be like because they used to do like the presidential fitness things it would be like a big deal like they'd get everybody together and yeah together. they'd announce your results to everybody god yeah i i didn't get in decent shape till i was like 30 so so i i have a decent amount of embarrassing stories that took place in pe as well as everywhere because i'm like the most awkward human being so well darren man thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show tonight man i know that um we said we'd keep you for 30 minutes and we keep you for an hour yet. looks like we're getting pretty close, but thank you. Like really legitimately. Thank you so much for coming on, taking your time. When we asked if you want to come on, you could have just told us no. <laughs> so we definitely, <laughs> we appreciate it, man. It's super cool. And thank you for being a patron and, and helping us keep the show moving and, and going and everything. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. I love the show. Thank you guys for putting in the work you do every week and it's good content. We really appreciate that. It's a lot of fun, and, and it's really honestly did not think I'd get to a point in my life where people would actually pay to listen to me. So uh, for real, though, <laughs> really, thank you. You guys are all awesome. Darren, thank you for coming on this week. Had a lot of fun, and uh, I hope you guys stuck through to the end. I know Extra Innings is everybody's favorite segment that we do, so we always love any chance to get to pull this out and do it with other people. Um, so really and truly, thank you guys so much. Again, if you guys want to get on like Darren, you guys, um, if you guys are patrons, we will pull your names out of a hat. And uh, we'll do, I think we still owe another patron of the month episode because I don't think we did one for September. So I think we have another one to do this month. Um, I believe Jacob Suttles is one that um, we'll be doing the patron segment, our, our makeup uh, segment. So for all you guys out there, thank you guys so much. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And hopefully we'll have some new, new some off-season news for the Braves coming up next. But next week will be a fun episode. I'm not going to tease it here. Just stay tuned through the Twitter and you may find out what we'll be doing. Thank you all so much. Enjoy your week. We'll be back next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. 